This is Tracing the Roots of the Climate Crisis. Chapter 1. Systems. Just down the hill from where I sit, Oregon's first newspaper, the Oregon Spectator, promoted the virtues of the expanding American empire. In 1850, they wrote, The Indian retreats before the march of civilization and American enterprise. The howling wilderness is fast becoming fruitful fields. What can we learn from a statement like this? Why did settler culture frame both indigenous peoples and the land as wild and in need of civilizing? What are some ways that Chinookan and other indigenous communities in this place responded, resisted, and survived 200 years of colonialism? And if, as the Oregon Spectator claimed, American enterprise set out to tame a wild world and make it into fruitful fields, what kind of a world did it actually build? What kinds of fruits have we all inherited? My name is Ben Cushing. I'm a sociology instructor at Portland Community College in Portland, Oregon. This podcast is an attempt to ask questions about the social and ecological crises that we currently face. Over the past couple of years, the oppression and violence that's so deeply rooted within this society has been laid bare. At the same time, it's become increasingly impossible to deny that the living systems of this world are unraveling all around us. Too often, we discuss these twin horrors separately. But more and more, folks are beginning to connect the dots between the violent exploitation of the land and the violent exploitation of people. So this podcast is an effort to examine some of the root causes of the climate crisis. But maybe surprisingly, we won't spend very much time talking about the climate crisis itself. Instead, we'll examine the ways that climate change grows from the same root as other crises we face, including racial and gender injustice and economic exploitation and precarity. In each of the four chapters of this podcast, we'll explore the roots of the climate crisis from different angles, ranging from a discussion of the consequences of the capitalist economic system to an examination of the cultural stories that justified colonialism, genocide, and slavery. And throughout, we'll try to keep sight of our own agency to resist systems of power and to co-create alternatives to the way things currently are. We'll be exploring big questions, and we won't do them all justice. But my hope is that this series will offer one place among many to think them through. So where to begin? I'd like to begin by thinking about systems. The sociologist C. Wright Mills is helpful here. Mills argued that sociology can offer us some tools to understand how our own experiences fit within larger social and historical contexts, how our lives are tangled up in systems. All of us, he suggests, are embedded in systems that shape the lives that we live and the people we become. So any meaningful examination of the climate crisis and of our experience of it is going to have to consider how certain social systems produce certain outcomes for people and the land. How corporations, for example, impact workers and wildfires, or how settler colonialism provides the ideological framework for the oil industry. 
So we need to think about systems. One of the most powerful tools that Mills offers us as we try to think in terms of systems is the ability to distinguish between two kinds of problems we may face. The first kind, individual problems, are just the everyday problems that we all experience from time to time. Maybe I stay up too late watching TV and sleep through my alarm and miss an important meeting. Individual problems are caused by something in our own private lives, and by extension, their solution will take place within our own private lives. Maybe I need to go to bed earlier or turn up the volume on my alarm. But the second kind of problem that Mills points our attention to are what he calls social problems. Social problems are larger public issues which impact our lives. For example, during an economic crisis like the COVID-19 recession, losing one's job or home isn't just an individual problem. It's a social problem. It is caused by something within the larger social system, and its solution must be at the scale of that system. Too often, we make a terrible mistake when we experience a social problem, like unemployment or housing insecurity, and we think of it as an individual problem. Sometimes I imagine two people sitting at their dining room table after they've put their kids to bed. Maybe they have bills and foreclosure notices spread out in front of them. They're stressed to the limit, and they're arguing. And the story that runs through their heads goes something like this. How did I let this happen? Why can't I get my act together? But then if we could zoom out, we might see that next door, there's also someone sitting at their table, alone, asking themselves, how did I let this happen? And if we zoomed out further, we might see that half the homes on the block are having that same conversation, and a quarter of the households in the state, and so on. These folks are experiencing a social problem on the scale of the global economy, and yet they feel alone. They've been given the wrong story. When we mistake social problems with systemic root causes and systemic solutions for individual problems with individual causes and solutions, we take on too much blame, and we let systems and the powerful players within those systems off the hook. Mills suggested that this skill, the ability to see our own experiences within a larger social and historical context, is crucial for understanding our own lives. Even more, he argued that it's a prerequisite for democratic self-governance. If we don't understand the systems that we're a part of, if we can't see how policy impacts our lives, how can we meaningfully participate in creating policies that will benefit us? The individualism of this culture undermines not only our understanding of our own experiences, but also our ability to democratically improve them. What does all this have to do with the twin crises of social injustice and ecological unraveling? On the one hand, it can help us get clear-eyed about root causes. Just as it would be wrong to blame somebody who lost their job or their home in the context of the COVID-19 recession, it would also be wrong to blame a coal miner or a commuter for the climate crisis. The climate crisis and the ecological crisis more generally have very deep roots. We'll be exploring some of them, from corporate structure to particular definitions of race and gender in future chapters. The climate crisis is the predictable outcome 
of a certain kind of social system. It's the fruit of a certain kind of fruitful field. On the other hand, being attentive to systems can help us get real about solutions. If our social systems have created the climate crisis and the larger ecological crisis, solutions will have to be at the scale of the system itself. No amount of green consumerism and lifestyle change is likely to get us out of this mess. Perhaps the most striking illustration of this fact comes from the experience of the global lockdowns in the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic. In April 2020, at the height of the pandemic lockdowns around the world, global CO2 emissions fell by 17%, down to 2006 levels. That was remarkable to see. And yet, given the scale of, quote, lifestyle change, and the pain that that caused, still 83% of emissions remained. Mass lifestyle change without system change can only get us so far. And it places the onus of change on the individual. Again, letting systems and powerful players off the hook. More and more, climate justice organizers have been using decidedly sociological framing in their slogans. All over the world, people have been carrying signs saying system change, not climate change. The ecological crisis isn't just the result of individual misbehavior or unethical business practices, those easy culprits with simple solutions. Much more troublingly, it's the entirely predictable outcome of the system working as and for whom it has been designed to work. If we hope to prevent the worst impacts of climate change, there will be other things that may have to change. Economic systems, belief systems, systems of domination. C. Wright Mills suggested that sociological thinking can be a, quote, terrible lesson and a magnificent one. It can reveal to us that we are in fact trapped within systems, but it can also reveal those systems to be made by people and subject to change, subject to system change. This has been Chapter 1 of Tracing the Roots of the Climate Crisis. I'm Ben Cushing. If you found this discussion to be helpful, check out the other chapters in this series, and please consider sharing it with a friend. In this chapter, we emphasize the importance of interrogating systems. In the next chapter, we'll turn our attention to this economic system, capitalism.